Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Matthew Smith of Dream Design, um, dreamdesignbuild.org. It's also on the, on, what is this? Instagram is uh, Yurt Designs. I will put all the links to Matt's work. Matt is a man after my own heart when it comes to architecture. He uh, has done these buildings that are essentially cylinders with conical tops, and but done so nicely. And in this discussion today, I want you to just kind of go with how we meander. Like if, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I meander. I'm tangential thinker, holotropic thinker, and we touch on so many different things. We're definitely going to do a follow-up podcast and get more into the nuts and bolts of architecture. Uh, today, we just touch a little bit on, um, you know, Super Adobe, why the the uh, radial pattern for roofs, um, what is actually problematic with modern architecture. And I think in our next podcast, we're going to get into uh, what is actually not problematic with modern architecture and especially the types of buildings uh, he and I both built. We were both enamored with curves. If you're watching this, you can see behind me, I have a bunch of uh, my buildings. Um, I'm actually staying at the at the retreat center that I built in Costa Rica right now, uh, doing a little QC. And um, these are like very square. We actually call these buildings behind uh, just our digital nomad hut. So it's, it's apropos that I'm filming a podcast here. So, uh, enjoy the podcast, check out Matt's work, um, and links below, and I will see you on the flip side. Recording in progress. I sent you a request. Allow recording. We have the technology. We do. We're incommunicado. Actually, we are actually communicating. How you doing, Matthew Smith? Welcome to the BioCharisma podcast. I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Great to meet with you. Oh, yeah, man. I heard you on uh, Mark Steve's My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast a couple months ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to talk to this dude. Isn't Mark I, great? What's that? Isn't Mark great? He is great. He is great. I love just how dry he is. And like he doesn't really. He has this very balanced male energy. He he if he disagrees with you, you know it like he'll just stop and he'll like make sure he interjects. Mm -hmm. But he's. He's like one of the more, I guess you would say, uh, balanced type of of male energies out there that I've that I've had the chance to, you know, speak with. Like I, I just really like how direct he is, how curious he is, and at the same time, for a young man, doesn't doesn't put up with any BS. 
Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's East Coast and I'm from Jersey originally. I grew up in New Jersey. So, you know, I, I guess I relate and resonate with all that. So no- North Fort Lauderdale, that's our resonance. Oh, okay. North, that's kind of East Coast. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding because everybody down in South Florida is from New Jersey. So oh, right. we, sure. we, we just call it New Jersey, North Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's kind of funny because my wife's family's name is Smith and they're from New Jersey. You know, we Smiths get around when there were phone books there. I mean, we had like half the phone books. Yeah. Yeah. That and speaking of phone books, you'll laugh at this. My very first, I guess you would say, foray into natural building was I was living in Palm Beach County, Florida in the early 2000s, and they were throwing out the phone books. Hmm. And I remember looking and I just saw all these phone books lined, you know, in all these rows of of houses. And I just saw bricks. I was like, those are perfect bricks. Because, you know, back, you know, for, you know, Palm Beach County, a phone book was, you know, a few inches thick, right? That was like a heavy book. And I just put in this fence and I put in this uh, this curved retaining wall around my driveway. And it took so much time and money. And when I saw all those, like, I just saw lines and lines and lines of quote unquote trash. And I was like, oh, I could have dipped that in cement and that could have been bricks. Did you? Did you no. grab them? No, no. no. That was just a thought. Because back, yeah. like, back then, I wasn't a builder or anything. I was just... I was just um, renovating homes and things like that. I was just kind of conventional in a way. I uh-huh. had started to look at geodesics, but I didn't really know how to, I didn't have the confidence to hybridize things yet. It was just like at the idea level. Well, it was in innate. Yeah. It was just waiting inside of you to come out. Yes, it was. Costa Rica unlocked that for me. That's where I am right now. So how did you end up in Costa Rica, if I may ask? I was the operations director for an ashram and oh. yeah, in the ashram, we had been going to India for a couple of years. And um, while we were in India, we, we pretty much figured out that, you know, Florida, South Florida mm-hmm. wasn't the best place to have, you know, our meditation center. Mm. And so I would say six or seven of us within the ashram, we had all been to Costa Rica and loved it. Mm-hmm. So the idea was like, well, let's liquidate out of the States and see what we can, you know, get down there. Mm-hmm. And we did that. It took about a year to find the property and about another eight months to pay for the property. And um, and then as soon as we moved down here, pretty much the whole ashram dissolved. Mm-hmm. And so it was like uh, my then wife and I were just like kind of hat in hand. You know, she and I were both massage therapists. I was a yoga instructor and <laughs> a operations director for a failed ashram and didn't really know what to do. And um, rent was really expensive back then because this place was really popular. And I was like, I need to build us a house like I need to I need to get us into a into a structure and we had gone and I, I had been into geodesic domes, but all the geodesic domes that I saw around here were crap. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the wood swells down here cause it's so humid and they were having tons of water intrusion problems and all this stuff. And I was just like, Oh man, I can't, I can't go that route. 
-hmm. And um, yeah, so I started drawing just little plans here and there. And uh, very soon, one of my massage clients hired me to build him a dome home out of Super Adobe. And, and now that Super Adobe is the uh, Cal Earth type? Yes. Like, yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. I was in Ileona Kalili's last yeah. class. Uh, wow. Nadir, yeah, Nadir Kalili was her husband. Yeah, I, I met him twice. I, I I did two workshops down there way back in the day, in the 90s. What, what was he like? Oh, he was wonderful. He was just a gentle soul who was yeah. you know, just a mission and just driven, but just very open hearted. And mm -hmm. yeah, no, he was just a wonderful man. Yeah, I I read all of his literature and I was like, this is the way I'm going to do it. And uh, I was very lucky. I got into her very last class before she moved back out east. And mm -hmm. um, I loved her. Like we got along yeah. great. She thought I was pretty... Um, I guess you'd say bold with what I was going to do with, with their, with, with their technology, considering I was a novice, but, um, it worked out really well. Uh, I, I won't ever do that again. Like I won't ever build super Adobe at that scale in this mm -hmm. particular environment because it's not really appropriate for this environment. Right. Right. I mean, he came out of Iran, Iran. In yeah. And just quick backstory, since we're talking about him, uh, Nadir, uh, he uh, got heartsick as an architect watching 10,000 people die at a time in earthquakes with mm -hmm. the mud brick buildings just collapsing on people. And he he writes about driving around and in the country and noticing that the only structures that were left standing were the were the kilns. Yes, because they're baked solid ceramic shells and he thought well why don't we do that and so i guess long story short is he migrated to the mojave desert in southern california right mm -hmm. and uh started um started uh building well i think he did some things in iran trying to replicate uh that type of kiln structure fired brick houses at scale but you know there was it required so much fuel to but they actually did build uh, some like sacred temple type structures that mm -hmm. are probably still around. Yeah. Imagine they'll be around forever. And then they came up with this sandbag approach where they're filling individual sandbags and using barbed wire as mortar. So it's kind of turning um, um, swords into plowshares type metaphor mm -hmm. there. And, um, and then they came up with the super Adobe. So it's like a continuous tube. So it's like a coiled pot, right? Is yes. that right? Yes. And then you can, you know, form your doorways and your your arches around your windows and so forth and so on. So how big was that first structure that you built with it? Inside was 1800 square. Well, inside. Oh. Well, inside the domes themselves was about a thousand square feet. There are three domes connected together. And wow. then I, I put a second story in each dome, which. It's um, <laughs> en enormous. Yeah, which I didn't actually like the feeling of. Um, no. The second story, because the way the, you know, anybody that builds or is into architecture, you have to consider the property that you're on. Yeah. And this particular pop property was at the top of a, of, a, I guess you'd say like a little blip within a valley. So it had a very narrow 
window cut view of the ocean. Mm. So the client really wanted to have the ocean view, but you didn't have the ocean view on the first story. Mm -hmm. So I designed a, a essentially a um, radial stairway that went up to the second story, and then we put a deck, mm -hmm. nice and high, built off the, the what I would consider the backside of the domes, and that looked out towards the ocean. That gave him the ocean view that he wanted. But then that deck afforded us a really nice area underneath to have a big open kitchen space, a living dining area, and then a nice like outdoor, um, like really nice bathroom setting where it's like so we had sculpted into the side of the dome this, we essentially built a, a, a wading pool. <laughs> you know, you could call it a bathtub, but it was, you know, he and his, his wife at the time, they were like, they wanted to have a uh, a water birth for their baby and they you know it was all the hippy dippy stuff you know all, all the really good stuff that we were doing and um yeah and then what we had to do because it was up like i said in this valley was that we had to build this massive retaining wall cuz super adobe is so heavy yeah and that was one of the considerations that at the time i didn't really understand like I was learning what is actually ecological because <laughs> that was very important to me as to learn what is ecological. And so after doing that building, I was like, man, this is such an enormous weight on the land. Like, even though I'm building with earth, it, this can't be ecologically sound. Like this isn't mm. appropriate in that way. Mm. So uh, you that's why like my, that's... your, you feel... your audio, I, you're kind of, I couldn't hear that. Oh, let me check my levels. Can you hear me okay? You're really low. I am. I'm low. Let's get me higher. How's that? It's a little bit better. A little bit better. I'll cozy up to the mic. Um, now, do you feel like it wasn't ecological because you were building in Costa Rica um, as opposed to like a more arid desert environment? Or... Yeah, there was a bunch of things. Number one, the mix of earth in our area here was it was mainly bauxite clay. Mm -hmm. So that only comprises maybe 15 to 20 percent of what your mix in your bag should be. So mm. we're shipping in sand and we call it Tahoe uh, or uh, road base and mixing it. Well, all you, that is true. Did you add cement? Uh, we added lime. Lime. OK. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, here the lime back then was wasn't hydrated at all, so it didn't really have a react reactive quality to it immediately. Mm. So, which was actually beneficial. Um, so we would mix everything dry, mm -hmm. and then it was raining so much. We started construction in late May, and man, here it's just raining every day. Then, so it was actually perfect. Everything hardened up like a rock because of all the lime that we mixed in. Mm -hmm. I really like super Adobe. Like when I do super Adobe now for retaining walls and stuff like that, I like to use road base, like the area I'm in in Missouri, the road base already has a ton of lime in it. <laughs> okay. So it's actually quite perfect. It compacts really hard. You know, it, it settles perfectly. 
Is that and, five eighths minus? Like, is that what you mean by road base? I I'm the I don't know mm. if this mic if my headphones are bad or mm. it's just the audio. I can hear you, but I can barely hear you. Huh. Let me uh, take this off real quick and see if mm -hmm. I can hear you better. So go ahead and speak. Yeah. Um, That's so much better. I think I oh, think good. I think this is dead. Okay, you're coming through more clearly than now as well. Great. Uh, is that so? You mentioned road using road base. Is that five eighths minus the? Uh, is that what you mean? I don't know what the terminology is. Okay. I just I just feel it in my hand. Like okay. I go, I go to the the people that create cement in my area, and I'll mm -hmm. see all their different big piles, and I'll walk around and I'll I'll jar and hand test, and I'll be like, I want that. See, that's the best way to learn. And that's that's how I got into what I'm doing now is just <clears throat> ever since I was a kid, just as I've always been building, I've always had a hammer in my hand. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can remember when I was five years old, just like hiding out from the chaos of my family upstairs and just being in the basement and like, you know, making, I don't know, string art, you know, pounding nails into boards. And mm -hmm. I, I still have my grandfather's vice that I used to uh, straighten out nails with yes. in the basement and, you know. And um, it's just learning by doing. Right. And the practice. And, it, and you know, it's like this practice and theory dialectic. And, uh, you know, I've I've always been just not even consciously, but somehow intuitively moving between those two, between the design and the building. And that's been tracking my whole life. You know, but that's I think... Wonderful. Now, people ask me, like, how, you know, how to approach architecture is just go out and do it. Just like start putting things together, think it through, make, you know, just sketch something out and figure it out, how it goes together, learn about the materials and then do it again. And, you know, you know, correct whatever mistakes or revise it. And, you know, my, my <clears throat> an old um, professor of mine, Jack Lebdeska, I've been talking about him lately because he just passed away at 90 and just brings back so many things. But he used to he used to tell us as architecture students, like, go out and build a shed. See if you can do that. Yes. You know, before you're designing like a mall. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, or or there's that axiom. It's um, if you can, as an architect, if you can design a chair, a stair and a public square. Mm hmm. Then you then you understand how to design. And if you think about that, like a chair has to conform to the ergonomics of, you know, the human anatomy. Mm -hmm. You know, the stair has to get you vertically through us through a, a, a living space. Right. Right. And a public square is like, how do you, you know, as a, as a human, as a designer, engage the, the broader community? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's that's a beautiful. I grew up with that because my dad was an architect and he graduated from Florida State when their primary architecture school was the ball house method of architecture. Oh yeah. And so he was always telling me when I was a kid and he was a master builder, like he could build anything. Hmm. He was just like, if you're gonna build the building, you need to design the furniture that's gonna go into it. Mm -hmm. He was always, that's the way he thought. And so, yeah. I kind of grew up with that and my sister ended up going to architecture school also. And so I actually had a full, a full drafting table by age 13. I had my dad's old drafting table. Nice. And one of my best girlfriends, I almost went to Tulane 
to go go to architectural school, but I wanted to go play uh, football in the Big Ten. <laughs> I didn't want to work out. <laughs> I, I didn't want to play football at Tulane. But um, did you do that? Did you play football in yeah, college? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I kicked for Michigan State for four years. I was their starting kicker, ninety four through ninety seven. No, right on. Yeah. But the, my best friend, when I was in high school, that was a girl, her name was Katie. And she was this architecture student all throughout high school. And she ended up becoming an architect in in college. Like she's just had the same trajectory in her entire life. And it always drew, drove her nuts because I didn't take any of the courses that she took, like in, in high school and in college. Mm -hmm but I could draw anything I wanted. Mm. And so to this day, I'll send her like, like, I think, I think we made the world's first reciprocal dormer, I think. And I, I sent that to her and I was like, Hey, Katie, check this out. And she's like, dude, you've always been this nut. Like, <laughs> because she just did everything by the book and was like, you know, this, 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 this. And now, now her architecture, her, I don't want to rag on it too bad. I mean, I guess it serves the function of like putting food on the table for her family, but like she's just bored to tears because everything yeah. for her, she's never built anything. Yeah. It's all, it's all theory. Yeah. And right. did my, the bane of my existence as a builder is dealing with architects that don't build. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a contractor for a long time as well. And so I've seen it from that side and, I know all the all the jokes about architects that don't have any sense at all. You know, it's just lines on paper and they don't understand how things go together. So they don't have that practical sensibility. Yeah. And um, yeah. And and I got out of the profession when I moved out to Seattle in 2004. I was so eager, like all the architects were hiring and I just thought it was so cool. Like I was finally going to break through into my career. And um, and you know, I did that for a few years and, and, uh, God, I mean, I could tell you, I could tell you stories like about working for these Frankenstein firms. Uh, I, I, I real quick, I, the first company that I got hired and I had a kid on the way, I was just excited to be hired by a Seattle architect. And, um, it was a big firm and they put me in their, um, mall, department like commercial department designing malls and I was like holy crap how did I end up here how did my life end me up here and then that wasn't enough they moved me after two weeks they moved me to their justice department and I found myself laying out prison plans for like oh. Oregon State you know women's penitentiary I I lasted four weeks I was I was having nightmares like you know and and um like being confronted by the warden and like I'm I'm out of here man so I I quit there and and um just ended up casting my lot in with custom residential architects and that was a really good move for me and that just kind of that that gave me a lot of really good like practical knowledge about how to lay out houses and you know everything well a lot of what goes into putting together a house and just being absolutely thorough and including all the systems. And, you know, it's like, I mean, to the, I, I'd like to think that I've learned these mistakes, but still it's like, you'll design a house and it has a daylight basement and you give it nine foot ceiling height. And then all of a sudden you realize like duct work is banging into 
you know, to um, beams holding up joists and then, uh, you know, and you got to like drop it down from there. So you have chases at seven feet and the client's not happy because it's right above their head. Mm-hmm. All, you have to think about all those things. And it goes back to that idea of, you know, design a stair. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you move through vertical spaces and what are all those what are all those um, um, components that are going to go into that house that you don't immediately think of? Because they're full of systems. And this is why getting back to, you know, designing green or sustainably, whatever all that really means, um, simplifying the systems that go into a house, Mm -hmm. you know, um, now, nowadays, it's, there's this whole trend of, it's a very dominant trend in green building, where it's very system heavy, where they want to like, you know, hermetically seal the envelope of the house, like the 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 the, the exterior walls, yep. and close it up. And this is huge in Europe, like because they're so advanced, right? And and then what you end up relying on is mechanical ventilation. So now you're relying on electricity driven, yeah. you know, mechanical systems I, that I, are I, circulating I, air. Dude, the I was in belgium for a year and a half and i was seeing all these high-tech systems put in and i was aghast (laughs) because i was actually staying in a house that was 160 years old Mm -hmm. that was built with these beautiful oak and like just everything in the house was just it was built by real carpenters at a Mm -hmm. time when there was craftsmanship and oh my god you you could open a window and let air in mm-hmm. and then in the same neighborhood you go down the down the road and these houses look like the borg mm-hmm. they didn't have any roof lines no gables on their roofs no overhangs no artistry everything was dependent on this like triple pane glass and this you know uber mensch you know siding and all this stuff and i was watching the systems by which they were putting all this together. And I was like, dude, without electricity, you're fucked. Right. Completely. Like these houses are, they're little smart cells. Correct. And the smart cell itself is death. Mm-hmm. Where I was in this 150 year old home and they had to like literally all the, like the lines for wires and stuff. Like mm-hmm. you could see where they plumbed in wires for electricity. But the character of the house, you could open it, it could breathe. You mm-hmm. know, in, in Central Europe, at least everybody smokes. So can you imagine being like stuck in like one of these smart cell houses with a, uh, with a smoking partner or something? Right. Like, that's hell. So that old house probably had um, breathable, uh, some kind of plaster on the interior. It was probably. all lath. It was all plaster and lath. Which plaster is and awesome. lath. Yeah. So it breathes. So it allows moisture to enter and to be released. And it doesn't get trapped in the wall itself, creating, you know, if, if moisture gets into, you know, the the, the interstitial space of a, a, um, an Ubermensch <laughs> uh, smart cell house, then it's going to cause mold immediately. It's going to cause black mold. And then you're in, you're in trouble. And then you have sick house syndrome. Mm-hmm. They have a name for that. Yeah. Well, my dad, you know, my dad ingrained it into me as a little kid because, you know, where we grew up in South Florida, there were so many hurricanes. Like he was just like, 
you don't ever want to be dependent on the material type. Hmm. He was very specific about that because he was building skyscrapers. And he's like, the problem with all these skyscrapers is you have to buy this, this glass for these, for, you know, all these panels and they're rated at, you know, 120 pounds per square inch of compression or flex mm -hmm. or hurricanes or whatever. He goes, but the design of the building can't hand like the the only way this building survives is if that material survives. Right. Where the way it was in Florida before, before all the contractors and everybody got, you know, too crazy with what they wanted to do was the the actual design of the structure is what was the safe house of the structure so every house like every let's just say for uh every home was four feet off the ground because mm -hmm. sometimes you have flooding also having it four feet off the ground air could flow under the house and every house every roof had a cupola so there wasn't ac back in the 20s and 30s so you could have the trade winds move through your house. You could open like the pass through uh, ventilation of the homes of these older homes was perfect. And they all did white roofs. Mm -hmm. So it would reflect the light. Right. And having that cupola allowed for convection currents it creates a, a chimney effect. So if it gets hot, you know, pop open like in, on these structures here, there's a skylight at the top. Mm -hmm. Just crank it open, open some windows, and it creates breeze, a natural breeze, and it moves the air through the house without any kind of aid of mechanical devices. Yep. Yeah. Precisely. So for me, that I always had that in the back of my mind because these old homes did so much better than the new homes. Right. Brought in the Mediterranean style and then all these sealed windows and AC and yeah. zero, zero eaves and then no right. cupolas. Right that when when a hurricane would come through and nobody would have electricity for a couple of weeks guess where everybody was going to the old church ones. no ah. the old ones. <laughs> and my and my dad was like yeah you can't even like he was uh renovating uh, he wasn't renovating they were building a hospital in miami when um hurricane andrew came through uh-huh it took them three years three years to remediate the walls because of the the water that got into the walls. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those buildings and they're all around us and they're they're They make up every modern city. It really is like, it's not even the glass, like the weakest link in all of those buildings is the caulk. Yes. Like the, the, you know, I, I worked in with one architect in Seattle, um, that uh you know it was a school's architect and so oh god it was <laughs> that's when i realized that i was no longer becoming an architect i was becoming a technician because mm -hmm. you just work on like one piece of one building for a year and a half and that's what you do and you're not involved in design and all this stuff you're a tech you're a, a technician and the amount of times i wrote you know, cock, cock joint on a detail. And I'm, and I realized like, wow, like what, and I, I would ask my, you know, my manager above me and it's like, well, what happens when, what happens when the cock fails? <laughs> it's like, well, we have to redo the cock. I'm like, and I'm looking around the city. I'm like, that's a lot of fucking cock, man. Mm -hmm. You know? So as soon as that gets neglected, 
are you know that maintenance doesn't get kept up with and it's really labor intensive it's like a lot like every 35 years like the best cock is going to last like 35 years if you're lucky so, yeah and so if, all of those if it's windows, applied in the perfect circumstance you know because <laughs> a mm -hmm. lot of times we know like you know they'll they'll put a bead of caulking on something and it's not cleaned on both sides Mm -hmm. you, look, you look at the application notes of of this both sides have to be completely whatever uh yeah it's it's uh that's what i'm saying if you're reliant on chemicals if you're reliant on right. high-tech materials to me that's a failure in architecture and design mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you mentioned the bauhaus before and i mean i i could easily spend the next two hours talking about the bauhaus I used to be so into that, you know, the modern, modernism, modern architectural movement. I just thought that was a cat's meow. And, um, and now I look back and I realized that was, that was, um, you know, we were being conditioned to discard tradition. We were being conditioned to discard the old world. And we were being taught that, you know, it, if it was modern, it was cool and all, all of that kind of stuff. And some of it, if it was done well, was, was, was kind of cool, but at what cost? And then I realized like, you know, th this is, this is what really ushered in. Um, it didn't bring in the new world, like the skyscraper had already arrived, as we know, it's steel, glass, concrete skyscraper. So we're talking about the Bauhaus in the 20s and 30s in Germany. And but what they were doing was um, they were they were making it so that it was replicable. All this sort of modern design was um, reproducible at scale for the everyday, you know, for the everyday man for for every household because they were not just designing buildings and houses they were designing industrial goods they were designing pots and pans you know uh, household items and so every every everything would be designed um you know to a fault and then brought to industry so they were dovetailing with industry and it's like well how do we how do we re, you know reproduce this at scale so that it produces profit and so forth and so on like that. Um, but do you know who the, so Walter Gropius was the director of the Bauhaus for ages. And then uh, he, he was run out cause he was, his, his inclinations were political, you know, affiliations were with the uh, socialist movement and left-wing socialists as opposed to national socialist movement. And so when the Nazis started gaining power, he, 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 you know, butted heads with that political trend where things were heading in Germany in the thirties. And so he was replaced by Mies van der Rohe. And Mies van der Rohe is um, like, I, I lived in Newark, New Jersey for a while. And I studied, that's where I finished my degree. And there was um, uh, a couple apartment blocks that are just like exactly what we're describing with that hermetically sealed windows that can't be opened, reliance on mechanical ventilation. I had a friend who lived there and her apartment faced south. So she just got blasted by sunlight. Horrible. She Horrible. couldn't, there's nothing she could do 
to to cool her apartment down. But this was a Mies van der Rohe designed apartment block in Newark. Um, but he's like the um, he's like the the godfather of of modern architecture. Mm -hmm. um, and so his thing was like you mentioned uh, designing all of the furniture that goes into a, a, a space. Um, so he was big on that. Like Frank Lloyd Wright was also big on that. That was sort of part of the um, that was just part of architecture at the time is designing the interiors, designing the furnitures. Uh, the master architects were able to to do that, but it didn't mean it was comfortable. It didn't mean it was livable. It just meant it was designed to match this, you know, modern edifice. Um, yeah, so so it's just interesting to to look back at that. And he, uh, Mies van der Rohe, really wanted to convince the Nazi the Nazis that this movement in architecture was compatible with where they were heading, um, but they thought otherwise. And interestingly, they you know, and this is a whole other dissertation, but um, they they embraced you know this um, more historical. Uh, trend in architecture more of you know uh, um, in a, an embrace of tradition and 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 so forth and so on um again to a fault mm -hmm. and um but so Mies van der Rohe and he was like the last one uh to leave town before the Nazis really just you know went berserk yeah and um and he held on to the end and he ended up I think as the um chair I think he was the president of uh harvard if i'm not mistaken or maybe it was the chicago university school of architecture mm -hmm. walter gropius ended up at one he ended up at another one and so yeah the the german um modernists came to america in the 30s and and um transformed our cityscapes which is interesting because you, you know like have you looked into the social engineering aspect of why they brought in the Bauhaus in the whole brutalist, not saying Bauhaus is brutalist, mm -hmm. actually looking at the lack of inspiration, like essentially moving people away from a beautiful aesthetic that mm -hmm. would inspire to this more, I always call it the Borg. It's so mm -hmm. obvious, the Borg. And something that doesn't highlight the natural elements, something that's just like, bam, it's like, it's in your face and it's just as it is. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's what you already said, like, you know, the 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 Ubermensch smart cell. I mean, I think that's where where it starts. You know, and and I think that they're, you know, whether or not it looked cool, the underlying program was you know, to, to mechanize everything and have the human, uh, like Corbusier, like Corbusier, he used to talk about the house as a machine, right? And they were busy designing project blocks, you know, pro you know, what we, what we, what became the projects where, uh, black America was forced into, in the 50s and 60s um those started out as like oh isn't this great that we can build up upwards and have these housing cells with you know greenery all around and <laughs> park you know landscaped parks well the landscape parks never arrived they just turned into parking lots and with with projects and tenements 
um, that fell into neglect over the decades. Yeah. So the whole, so I, I don't really want to get into that whole machine <laughs> mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just going to share the screen of, of your, of your work. Let's do this. Like, look at this, people. So, by the way, this tension ring that you got that that you guys form here is so stellar. I got into reciprocal roofs just so I didn't have to do that. <laughs> but my goodness, like, look at this—the intricacies, the, this radial roof design that you use is just stunning. And so I'm, you know, my, you know, my, my house I'm building in Missouri is going to look like this down here. The, the one that I have highlighted, uh, except my roof line on the second story is going to be, it's going to be a reciprocal and I'm putting a 270 degree deck on the mm -hmm. second story. So I can actually see, see my lake and see the sunset also. Fantastic. Because my lake is to the east and I want to be able to see the sunset um, at also. But I mean, I, I'm such a nerd. I love to talk to clients and call. Uh, they're like, you know, how much per square feet? And I'm like, it's not a square foot. It's a round foot. Like, you know, I'm always nerding with them about this because it's, <laughs> a round foot. <laughs> it's so much better. I just I'm just going to say it. This is the way it should be like why is it every manor i went to in europe they all had a cylindrical you know main aspect to the manor like it was a focal point and they all either had a conical or an octagonal pointed roof it's because of the energy yeah it's the energy the energy and the flow so if you look at that picture you're hovering on right now <clears throat> I, and so I've thought a, a lot about this. I've designed over a hundred of these, of these houses. So you think about um, in a square house, all right, just picture yourself inside of a square and you have um, vanishing lines on either side, right? So you're experiencing this space in three dimensions and the walls or the corners are like, say this big behind you, right? And then in front of you, the, they're like this big so you have vanishing lines going like this right in a roundhouse you have vanishing lines as well but what ends up happening is that those vanishing lines create a spiral right so intuitively there's something that resonates inside of every everybody that walks into one of these houses just especially if they've never been into a roundhouse before they look up and wonder and they smile and there's something that just, they stand up straighter. And, um, and I think that has a lot to it and it's very organic. You're being brought into this very, um, this organic experience, you know, and plus like if you stand in the center of one of these houses, you can, you feel a different vibration and everybody's experienced this in like sacred buildings, churches, cathedrals, temples, um, and I, I can remember, you know, going to church when I was a kid and just looking up and I would just spend most of the time looking up 
I'm like wondering why houses can't feel like this or can't be built like this. So it's a, it's a, it's real, man. It's a, that energy, it's a real thing. It's a visceral experience. You'll get a kick out of this. The, the very first domes I built, I was building for a couple where the woman was pregnant and she walked in when we got done with the first, the first dome, which was a 20 foot diameter, six meter diameter. Mm -hmm. She walked in and that particular dome had three doorways, the entrance way, actually four, one to either bedroom and then one out towards the, the kitchen. And she walked in and she's like, she started to hold her belly and she's like, whoa. And, and she had broken English and she was like, I feel like I'm spinning. Hmm. It's like, are you spinning or do you actually feel the movement of the, of the energy swooshing around you? And she checked in and she's like, yeah, you're right. It, I'm not spinning. The energy is moving. And then she's continuing to hold her belly. And I'm like, which direction is it? And she's like, it's to the left. And I was so happy because the way we had designed the actual dome was to have a counterclockwise or female spin to it with the way the door openings were. How did you do that? Um, well, I made the the door arch in the front mm -hmm. of Vesica Pisces. And then I offset the door arch that was going on the other side of the kitchen. I offset it. You know, the, the principle in Feng Shui where you never have a door facing at another door, but you're, you use your primary door. It's actually a Vastu principle. You set your primary door as, as essentially uh, the direction of energy that you want entering into the building. Mm -hmm. And whatever your secondary door is off of that, that directs the, the, the spin form. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And because the the building itself was the, you know, the male aspect of an egg, these were mm -hmm. the super adobe eggs, so or super adobe domes. So they were the lancet arch domes. Mm -hmm. That's the male energy. You know, the hemispherical domes are the female energy. Mm -hmm. So the reason why, like, you know, the egg shape is so incredible because it's the balance between the male and the female. So then you have the life inside of it. Or Right, right. And so I did the arch forms of that building. The <laughs> people made fun of me because I didn't I wasn't thinking of it at the time, but it ended up just looking like a huge yoni <laughs> when you walked into it. <laughs> yeah. But was really fitting for that family. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted uh to the the woman Anna, she really wanted, she was sort of wore the pants in the relationship. And she really wanted to uh, honor, you know, Gaia, Mother Earth and all that. And so that's the, that's I mean, their intent kind of formed the building and that energetic pattern was so strong that almost every single person that had any sensitivity could feel that counterclockwise spin. Wow. Yeah. And I had it's that. I had that in mind because I learned Vastu backwards because I learned Vastu by looking at Victor Schauberger's uh -huh. flow forms. Mm -hmm. Like the way he would do his flow forms met so much of what Vastu talked about with how you actually 
design a space to have energy flow in a space. It's like one in the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Schauberger ran into um he, he ran into the um the the grinder, the soul grinding Nazi uh trends as well. I wasn't it like he was um they were straightening out the Rhine or something. Yeah, he he told he told Hitler's number two. He was like, uh, "You guys want a, a Reich to to reign for a thousand years? I mean, that's what it means." He goes, "You guys won't last ten years." Yeah, you, you straightened out the the Rhine River. That's like the most sacrilegious thing you could do. Yeah, and so then yeah, and so the natural river is going to have all of this flow and <laughs> um all of these creating all of these energetic vortexes which brings life and sustains life versus this you know what we were talking about just before like you know uh, you know the the mechanical mind which is soulless at its heart and um you know it's just about it's basically about commerce mercantilism right it's like the basest um set of principles involved just getting from a to b in the most efficient way possible yeah and uh yeah and it's it's and it's just wrought with uh it's just problematic i mean if you look at uh hurricane katrina you know you know hurricane katrina was a was a category one when it hit new orleans and the reason it did so much damage is because it it it, it was uh just a bullseye on um the they call it the Mr. Go Canal, MRGO Canal. It just and so all of the water, just a wall, a wall of water, got funneled directly into the in, into the MRGO Canal, which connects New Orleans to Lake Pontchartrain, and it just it it blasted the the really uh, shoddily constructed levees and just flattened the levees and just wiped out the eastward. But it was not a major hurricane. But that's the idea. It's like that, you know, that shipping canal. It's just when you do that, and the Army Corps of Engineers has been doing that kind of thing around this great land for 150 years now, uh, just causing havoc. And they're going to, things are going to last as long as they last. And when they fail, it's catastrophic. I'm 100% convinced it's built to fail. Mm, mm -hmm. the system okay. mm. i i think they program into our consciousness apocalypse because mm -hmm. apocalypse is the perfect marriage with planned obsolescence correct so when you have planned obsolescence which has been the the mo of of let's just say the the corporate parasite mm -hmm. for 150 years you have to actually program in on the spiritual level, the whole notion of great reset apocalypse, because you know, all the systems that have been built, there's been so much that's been siphoned out of the system that, you know, the common person like you and I don't actually get, uh, we're not privy to. The, the systems that are there for, for the dependent person are absolutely engineered to fail because like you said it's about commerce mm -hmm. and if you have really well-built things like to this day i only buy a car that's made in japan mm -hmm. 
you know, it was so funny, dude. You'll laugh at this. I was being um, groomed to be a country club manager when I was in college. I had a finance degree. I was like a football player. I was charismatic. And so one of my professors like, hey, you should go into this program uh, for country club management. And when you're 20 years old, you don't, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, you know, a finance degree is nothing. Like, what do you do with a finance degree? So I was like, hey, sure. I get to like taste good food and I get to go to restaurants and I, you know, all this stuff. And so I was dr driving a Toyota Camry at the time, a 1988 Toyota Camry. And so there was a nine-year-old car at the time. And I'm at this country club where it was all the big wigs from Detroit. You know, Bloomfield Hills Country Club is just outside Detroit. And so all the big wigs from like GM and Ford and all this, you know, vice president of Audi at the time, like they were all there at that country club. And I remember one day, one of these guys was, he pulled up in his Lincoln Continental and he was like a real jerk to me. And I go, you couldn't pay me to trade your car for my car. <laughs> and he was like, my car cost 40, because 40 grand back then was like, you know, big deal. Right. And I was like, yeah, you guys said no to Charles Deming. You know, my Toyota Camry will last 10 times as long as your car. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, you guys are bean counters like you know, you, this car is only meant to last this long. I'm like the Camry, that thing will last forever. He like, I almost got fired that day <laughs> <laughs> because he couldn't argue that. Like the, 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 the lack of pride, the lack of attention to detail, the lack of like imbuing something with quality mm -hmm. was so apparent in the product mm -hmm. anything is shiny when it's new yeah anything is shiny when it's new yeah is it shiny 10 years on is the question yeah, yeah. so these housing blocks these condo blocks office towers they're going up like i mean they're just sprouting like mushrooms all over seattle they're knocking down single family residences left and right and they're building like six units eight units they changed all the zoning in washington state to allow for this in every hamlet across the land and they're they're crap they're built with you know chipboard and 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 glue and caulk and yeah <laughs> vinyl and you know formaldehyde and they're they're designed to be obsolete in another 20 30 years yeah 40 at the outset i think they're i think it's even i think they changed all like i saw this in fort lauderdale because my mother my mother is like she writes into to local politics and like she mm -hmm. she's trying to make her difference her way but it's crazy what they've done with the parking and the multi-use structures now in fort mm -hmm. lauderdale every single co commercial area is mixed use now and dude mm -hmm. it's a turkey shoot it is a turkey shoot yeah like the way the whole thing is done it's done for if catastrophe strikes you're not going to survive Ugh. there's no way to get out uh, Why that's horrible. bottleneck every single exit right 
Yeah. I think that you said something very important just before, like it's designed to fail, but also because that is the grand plan, it's designed to be obsolete in X amount of time. And there's probably, it's all been, you know, the calculus is, you know, baked into the cake because of that, there's uh, an apocalyptic, uh, you know, like storyboard underneath of it all that we're conditioned to just expect this. I mean, we only live a certain lifespan, right? So if we have, if we live through several catastrophes in our life and some of them are bigger than others, um, you know, you, 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 yeah, you have to, uh, you have to condition people to somehow see that that's, um, that's part of the program. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you build into that a dependence upon the thing that is actually creating those conditions in the first place. You, you supplant the big daddy in the sky with, you know, science, scientism, you know, so people are calling on the, the gods of science to come and save them. And it, just, I, it's so, I see it all as the same thing in a way. There's, like it, it's you have debtors and you have creditors mm -hmm. the debtor is the dependent mm -hmm. and i just think on a spiritual level there are people that are dependent and, yeah. and want to be dependent and then you have the creditor which is independent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it, you look in every spiritual tradition this realm of existence is essentially just the playgrounds between the dependent and the independent, the debtor and the creditor. And we are kind of playing in the canvas of those two that are together. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's like a completely different mind frame. Mm -hmm. And you could have people in the same family that are complete opposites. I think that's what the the Jesus was saying is like, you know, they could be your mother, your brother, your sister, if they don't have Christ within, if they don't actually have the independent, if they're not mm -hmm. independent, they are dependent, they will make false idols out of false things. Mm -hmm. Make false idols out of false things, you are doomed to, to the, that dependency. The doom is dependency. It's so interesting because going to Catholic church, there was always this like um, wordplay in the, in the, the prayer of the, our, our father. Yes. It would be forgive us our sins and those who have sinned against us. But sometimes they would say, forgive us our trespasses and those who have trespassed right. against us. And I would scratch my head as a kid and I'm like, what, how come sin and trespass are conflated? Right. I combine the two. So when I say that prayer, I said, forgive Forgive those who who trespass and debt against me. Mm -hmm. Los dos, mm. because I want I've I've been very intent to pray correctly for a very long time. Because mm. I think words matter. I think the capacity mm. to communicate and convey one's thoughts, like we do this with buildings. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, what is it? Architecture is a frozen song yeah oh and the more beautiful the building the more beautiful the song is it's just yeah, a i think that was goethe 
yeah, it's a frozen waveform, right? It's right. The same, it's the same way with our words, right? And so when I was learning about debtors and creditors and what trespassing actually means, I think the whole thing that we live in an alive medium and that alive medium wants hybridization. It wants like your own like little Matthew Smith touch on something or the Christopher Gardner touch on something. It wants that subjective nuance to be added to like the, the fractal holograph. It mm. wants that. Mm -hmm. The dependent does not do that. The dependent locks mm. in and is just holding on for dear life that some something or someone else will take care of them. Mm. Yeah. Because they, they don't really care except for one thing, their survival. Right. Right. Like it's it's a very interesting consciousness. And right. I also <clears throat> think that's why, you know, Christ was very much like, do not cast pearls before swine. Mm -hmm. Because... Dude, somebody looks at your architecture and it's gorgeous. You see this round building. You can see the attention to detail. There are literal beings that won't feel inspiration from that. Mm -hmm. They just won't. They're, they're locked in and that's perfectly okay. That is their thing. That is their like channel. But man... I, I find that the independent, the mm -hmm. the creditor, the the being that has chosen to actually forge their own way, and ironically, they forge their own way by actually being in jurisdiction with their creator. Like then, yeah. this huge creative, the heart opens, and then this creative vibe emanates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if if you're comfortable living in a in an Ubermensch smart cell, that's gonna your your consciousness will be boxed into that. But the moment that you break out of it, and this is why I had to get out of the architecture profession as such and just forge an independent path of my own in coordinates with my creator. The moment you do that, all of this other stuff, like you mentioned the egg before, you have the, the male and the female aspect, you have phi and you have pi, it's all baked into that. Yes. And that's so profound, but it's so simple and so accessible. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can build a shed in your backyard with these principles and, and people are going to come up to and be like, what a cool shed. Wow. How, you know, but it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, a lifetime of mastery helps, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be arduous. It can be very simple. Yes. And it's just a matter of aligning. And that's, yeah, God, like when I work on these houses, like it uplifts me. I love what I do. And I, you love what you do. I can tell, like I'm hearing you on, you know, different podcasts. So I was like, I got to talk to this guy because like he gets it, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you could build something so simple. You can build a chair, you know, and you could do a, um, you know, a modernist chair or you can do a clunky chair. Or you can do a divinely inspired chair. You know, and P and that's going to resonate with 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 those who are are already inclined. You know, it might it might uh, sow a seed, plant a seed in people that aren't quite there. Like you know, um, you know, the, the the term NPC gets thrown around a lot, and and I actually like Mark Steve's take on that, and 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 um, 
not falling into you know a trap of our own making of sort of arrogance and so forth because you never know what's gonna move somebody you know i was an npc <laughs> for yeah. quite a long time and and sometimes you got to go through your dark night of the soul and sometimes it takes you know life has you know gives you several you know kicks in the pants before you get it and um and and but if you're willing you know what is it seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be open to you i mean i think that's what that's saying like listen you know look at the way nature is you know watch a bee hover around a flower you know and then look at the flower and it's like whoa like all it's it's all there and then you start bringing that into whatever it is that you do. And we're lucky enough that we get to design and build beautiful houses for people that, you know, ripple out from there and, you know, influence how their family and their children grow up and, you know, and, 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 and how, you know, are like the focal point of an entire ecosystem. And that's just profoundly awesome. But you can bring that into anything that you do. And if it doesn't resonate with what you're doing, stop doing that thing and do something else. Right, right. Well, I find that the true creatives in my life, money was never their primary focus. Hmm. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I agree with Mark Steves to not fall into the trap of like using the terminology like an NPC. What I like to the way I characterize what would be somebody that's considered that is just a traumatized being. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it just some, it's a being that's been traumatized and the trauma begets a security consciousness where they, they cannot feel trust. And there's a direct ratio between trust and inspiration. If mm. you cannot feel trust, you will not feel inspiration. Like I've pulled my, my clients in my, in my own consciousness. I know this that when I'm like not trusting and I'm scared and I'm like scavenging and stuff like that, I'm devoid of inspiration. And so I'm lucky that I've been around people that all they are is money consciousness and profit, making money, making money, making money they fit the current system very well they succeed in the in 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 the system in the fiat system very well because there's no need for inspiration in that system so i'm not even judging them for how they actually handle and go about their business they are actually serving a function that is what it is right mm -hmm. but they're all very damaged people like none of them experience joy like none of them experience inspiration is this why they go to burning man <laughs> man i don't know what people's fascination is with that i this this last year i went to the first festival i've ever been to where there's no there was no alcohol there was no drugs and it was mm -hmm. such a delight and then i told my wife i was like because i always thought i hated festivals because all the festivals I ever went to, I had to deal with all these drunk people. And, uh, you know, I'm not a saint. Like, I'll have a beer, like, once a week or whatever. But, like, come on, dude. Like, these festivals were just, like, it was like being back in college. Like, everybody was just looking for an excuse to be, like, blitzed out of their mind, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, 
I can see that when you're 18 years old, but if you're like a 40 year old dude and you're doing that and you're like chasing after, you know, like your level of like where you're at in your consciousness is like, like you got to graduate. Like you're no longer a sophomore. Like, come on, let's go. <laughs> and so we went to this festival in three days at the end of three days, I wasn't exhausted. I was just like, I actually do like festivals. I like the, the, that whole energy of everybody coming together. I just don't like it when everybody's inebriated. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, <clears throat> now I look at the inebriation as an invitation for all sorts of um, entity forms and, you know, Definitely. yeah. Yeah. I, I just, uh, cause you know, I've been, my longest held profession is in massage Mm -hmm. I've had mm -hmm. to deal with beings. I've had to deal with walk-ins and beings. I've had to deal with like these very weird circumstances with just extracurricular activity vectored into a body. And mm -hmm. uh, I just talked with Jerry Marzinski, which I'm so excited about because he had such, do you know who Jerry Marzinski is? It, I'm sorry. The name rings a bell, but no. Um, I forget what his channel is on YouTube, but he's the he's the gentleman that's kind of brought to the fore how the medical industrial complex through psychiatry has masked the what's really going on with um, like a lot of people that are considered clinically insane or criminally insane. Mm -hmm. because for 30 years he had real documentation and video and everything of these people essentially having like the same demons and the same beings mm -hmm. coming in as walk-ins into him if they took a particular drug mm. and he talked about like if a person took some sort of methamphetamine this particular being would go into them if the person okay. took this type of depressant this being would come into him because okay. there would be, he would go from one prison to another where these criminals didn't have any way of connecting with each other. Yeah. But it would be like, if the person was on the same drug, yeah, they would, he would be talking to the same being. Mm -hmm. And then he was bringing up that, um, I forget when he did it, how long he was into his practice, but he was just divinely inspired one day to bring up Christ. Mm. Or so why don't you go to the pastor? And he said, without fail, whenever people were under the influence of these particular drugs that were being prescribed by the by the psychologist or psychiatrist, I always get them mixed up. These these other beings would flail. They like it was like an exorcism in a lot of ways. Mm. They mm -hmm. did not want to have to deal on a spiritual level with anything. Mm -hmm. And he calls it a chemical lobotomy, like mm. the majority of the antidepressant and the depressant, depressant drugs that are put out there are chemical lobotomies and okay. they, and they make people open to these lower, these lower form entities. So, um, pull, pull me, pull me back if I get in if I wade into this too deeply, but what this is making me think of is the fentanyl crisis. Yes. Okay. And I pass by these people way too often, you know, here, I live just North of Seattle mm -hmm. and it's just like blocks away from me at this point. And you see these people wandering around the street, 
or just, you know, hunched over in their stupor and they're, you know, it's really awful. And I've started to see it that way. Like they're, they're possessed. There's demon possession. Yeah. And um, yeah. And those pills are a buck a pop and every once in a while they do a bus and it's like 75,000 pills, 300,000 pills show up in a bus. I'm like, where, where are these coming from? How does that much, you know, like enough to wipe out this whole city, you know, in, in, in any way. So, yeah, so that actually gets back to the spiritual war aspect of all of this and um, the apocalyptic um, aspect of it. And it's like, I see it as like, um, you know, it's an invitation to uh, give up on life, you know, and they provided the out right if it's just too much here here's a pill and um and in the meantime it's it serves a, a um multiple purposes because it's it's absolutely eroding the social fabric um in 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 weakening us as um a community um and um and also by the way it, it lowers commercial <laughs> real estate values so blackrock can come in and after the mess has been made, just scoop it all up for dimes on the dollar, you know, rinse and repeat. And that's that. But, but wait a minute, old cities, <clears throat> new cities have never been built on top of old cities. Wait a minute, there's never been where there's been a civilization there before. Mm-hmm. And somehow, some way, some fire happens and then a whole mm-hmm. other civilization's built on it. Mm-hmm. Now, now mm-hmm. you're just talking crazy. <laughs> You've been watching my videos. <laughs> Dude, I've been watching history. Like I'm yeah. like, I'm just like, man. Well, I mean, that's Seattle. That's the story of Seattle. And and that's the thing. And 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 you know, I started, I, I you know, I've been studying history as well and 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 realizing like it it started out with megalithic architecture, like maybe seven, eight years ago, and Egyptian mysteries, and then Peru you know, in Egypt, Peru, it's like, wow, you know, there's, there's way more to this story and technology goes back so much farther. And, and then lo and behold, I started watching the John Levi's and, and, and the Campbell's and, and, and realizing that this is right outside of my door. Like there's an earlier iteration of civilization right outside of my door. And so then I'm like, I got to start my own channel just so I can put these thoughts together and, you know, focusing on Seattle. And it's just like, wow, like there is an old world city right underneath of our foot here. And, you know, it's in, in, in the bones, like we're living in the, in, in the bones of it. Yeah. Um, there was a great song in 2013 that came out. It was, uh, it was, I think the name of that album was called bones. Hmm. It was uh, this artist from Europe named Bastille. And you listen to every single one of his st- songs And it's all about how our, the, the modern myth is that we're at the pinnacle of our evolution, (laughs) which really makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. And in that album, like he just goes through a bunch of the current myths. This is before I ever came across anything like with uh, the flat earth or anything like that, or any of the mud flood stuff. But I was in Europe and I was like, man, they do basements really weird here. Cause like they'll have a 
all these beautiful vaults on, on in the basement that are mm -hmm. completely bricked up. And when right. you see the ornate pattern of like the way they were doing the vaults, it wasn't just an architectural implement to disperse weight. Like it was done ornamentally to be seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why is it, why was that done in these basements? Why is this subgrade? Exactly. Subgrade. And then having a grade go like <laughs> at an angle through multiple yeah. So when the blood flood stuff started to come out and then I, I studied, you know, domes for so long because with earthquakes, you get liquefaction. In 2011, mm -hmm. they had that big earthquake in Christchurch. Yeah. And all the videos of these buildings and cars essentially just being mid-grade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some. Liquefaction. Yeah. They, the yeah, they stink. And so I was just like, oh man. And then that that album came out and I was listening and then all the stuff over uh, that's been revealed the last 10 years is like, just like one thing after another. I mean, my grandfather in Tennessee told me about giants. Huh. Yeah, when he was growing up, they found a femur that was the length of his body in his neighbor's, in his neighbor's field. And that that's ended up in the basement of the Smithsonian, no doubt. Yeah, but like he was a little boy and there's a picture of him in the newspaper holding this bone. Oh, wow. Yeah, like that's super cool. And so he was a, he was into the Bible and he was like, yeah, there's giants, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So I always had that kind of in the back of my mind. Are, are you mm -hmm. friends with Mike Wilkerson of Stellium 7? No. Have you ever seen his channel? No. What is it called? Stellium 7. Stellion seven, so many podcasts, so little time. <laughs> Mike Wilkerson, that you want to watch. Too, Shout out to Mike. Mike Wilkerson. Okay. Um, he's a chiropractor in Spain, mm -hmm. and he was noticing that there is this mountain right next to him that looks exactly like an elephant, and mm -hmm. all the lore is that this, you know, it was a titan. And so he's like, ah, you know, crazy people in their mythology and stuff like that. Well, they end up doing like this cave diving expedition because he started to like geomap it and use LIDAR and stuff like that. And I was like, man, that actually has the perfect anatomy of an elephant, a three mile long mm. elephant. So they go into the ear of this thing. There's a cave exactly where it looks like there would be an ear and they go into it. It's the perfect anatomy of the inner ear of what an elephant looks like. Wow. They spelunked it because this is a three <laughs> mile long mountain. And so what what do you make of that? So we get into it because I've always been intrigued with petrification. Like what is petrification? Because mm. ever <laughs> since going to the petrified forest as a kid, yeah, I was, I was taught in geology that, you know, petrification, you, things become petrified because of pressure and time. Yeah. Yeah. And and whatever minerals are around, whatever cellulitic material or organic material is being petrified, that's that's what causes it to be that way. So when I was in the petrified forest as a kid, I was like, well, wait a minute, all these petrified trees are topside. Right. Where's the pressure? They're sitting above ground. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you out there that don't know, the petrified forest in Arizona, it's literally like there's thousands of trees. They look like crystals. 
and they're like, you know, you can't cut them with a diamond blade. And it's very obvious you've seen that people had cut them at some point with something. And it's just like, how does this happen? This is topside. And so becoming somewhat of a material science scientist with making geopolymers and learning the difference between um, what's it called? Essentially, the difference between what an acidic reaction will do as a binder relative to a, a basic reaction mm -hmm. as a binder. Mm -hmm. like that's the difference between like cements and geopolymers. Mm -hmm. Like a geopolymer is essentially a man-made stone. So you can have that and it's an acidic reaction that creates the whatever geopolymer you want to make. So I started to think, huh, is the petrification happening that way? And then lo and behold, all these scientists started coming out with instant petrification through plasma. Right. And so I was like, oh my goodness, this is so obvious that there was like a massive plasma storm. Mm -hmm. And that's where Mike's work goes because he's, I mean, he like petrification is his thing. Okay. Yeah. And because he was noticing mm -hmm. as a doctor, like he was noticing like he'd be in certain riverbeds and all the rocks in the riverbed look like hearts, like anatomically perfect hearts. And you go through it, like you could see the ventricles and everything. And it's just like, wait a minute, this is stone. What's going on here? And so the theory is there are these plasma storms that occur whenever, don't mm -hmm. really know when they happen, but when they happen, they essentially petrify many things they mm -hmm. also vaporize a lot of things like whatever can handle actually handle the juice essentially gets turned to stone that which can't handle the juice gets wiped mm -hmm. to me that okay. makes to me that makes sense because um the way i learned how the yuga system the age system works in at least from um the ayurvedic perspective that i was taught was you don't go from the Iron Age, work your way into the Bronze Age, then the Silver Age and the Golden Age. That's not the way it works. This is the physical system is entropic. So it starts off perfect. You start mm -hmm. off in the Golden Age and then you descend into the Silver Age and then you descend into the Bronze Age and then you descend into the Iron Age and then it's cleaned, it's wiped anew. Mm -hmm. And then bam, you start over in the golden age. It's not sinusoidal. It's not like, oh, you go down and then you go up. It's only, you go, you go down, boom, it resets and then you start at the top and it, it works its way down. So we're not gonna build our way out of this? No. Because if you think about it on the spiritual level, the first, well, the second axiom, at least from the Christian faith, is have no false idols. And people make, like we, what did uh, Jesus say? We're in this world, but we're not of it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in this world that will actually fulfill our spiritual need. We mm -hmm. are spiritual being first. We are energy first that is masquerading as something physical and material. 
and we need this school as long as we need it. Like we need to learn, we need to get better. But the the physical aspect of things is not the end of the story. So I just put this together as you were saying that. So this idea that of instant petrification, um, it's like a divine intervention. Yes. Because because and I I heard you talk about the word diamant diamante. Yes. In Spanish also means diamond in yes. Sanskrit. And I I texted you like ah, I gotta tell them this. Vajra, the Vajra device um also means diamond and lightning. Yes. And so with this alongside of this idea of instant petrification is that uh, a thunderbolt of the god let's say a plasma strike will rearrange and organize the elements in the earth like it'll pull like with like it'll like when they when they miners are 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 tracking gold veins they're fractal just like a lightning strike lick with lichtenberg currents will be exactly a fractal formation and so it is with you know with other minerals and 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 elements, and so when so if we're if if the Earth is struck by a plasma burst, it's it's going to it's going to rearrange the elements of life, and so maybe that's the that's the greater re reset that you're referring to that we just you know we're gonna it's gonna entropically, and and I have a question there, but it's gonna. To follow this through, it's going to entropically decay to 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 where we're in the Kali Yuga that we're that we're in, and then something will intervene. The hand of God, plasma outburst, what have you, and then we have all the elements that we need reorganized to start anew. Because it's like, how do you get how do you get then back to the point where you're able to you know create cathedrals and 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 so forth like we've we've pulled the veins of the minerals you know of the earth apart and it's it's you know it's it's not um ec immediately accessible maybe in the way it once was but so how do we how do we access all of that um what would be necessary to create a golden age well in so <laughs> The scale right now is the smallest it's ever been. So we're in the the Kali Yuga, at least the way it was described to me and how that actually works is the way you know you're in the Kali Yuga is everything is a gamble. That's the number one componentry that's mm. on in the consciousness of people. Everything is a bet. So when you look at the new financial system that's being being devised and is being projected to roll out on a large scale towards the debtors, is that financial system is gamifying and gambling, is, is securitizing biometrics. So securitizing just means betting. <laughs> yeah. So, right. and so they'll say, okay. Christopher Gardner, 50-year-old male, you know, this weight, this height, whatever, his his actuary numbers are this. We'll make this bet on his blood pressure. We'll make this bet on this. We'll make this bet. Right. A way that they can in, add infinitum, create more and more securities. 
Yeah. Okay. That securitization of biometrics to me is like the sign of like, oh, that is the Kali Yuga. Mm. Because we know they're doing this with the weather right now. The majority of people think the weather is natural. It is not natural. Mm. It is not natural. I would say in the areas that I've been in, I would say maybe 20 to 30% of what I'm experiencing, like when I really check in, is what would be considered an organic weather pattern. I see the corrugation in the sky all the time. I see the whiteout. I'm old enough to remember what the sky was before there was this incessant modification of it. Right, right. So so people think, okay, my the the this is this just happened. It was an act of God. And why do they do this? Because in actuaries, like when you actually look at insurance policies, they have act of God clauses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you have everybody believing that oh the the weather is natural or earthquakes just happen or this or this just happens or you know they can get out of paying for what people have been paying into for so long does that make sense yeah it what makes sense is that they're 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 doing the the magician's sleight of hand thing where it's like you know the right hand is like look at global warming it's you know the emissions from your combustion engine that's ruining everything and meanwhile over here they're you know yeah fucking around with weather patterns yeah and so how this all relates to the kali yuga is in the kali yuga the way i read it the way i understood it was the iron age everybody fixates on material like it's about material it's about stuff everything is gamified because there's just this utter fascination with stuff like need more stuff 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 dependency again exactly and that that just lowers the vibration that brings you down root chakra and lower and you're just like that's where it is and my feeling is is i just look at my life and i look at how life happens when beings start they're perfect and by the time they end they're not yeah yeah (laughs) and we're just a fractal of the whole yeah and so we don't we don't we're we don't create the golden age Oh, okay. And when I say that, I'm not saying that from a fatalist perspective. I'm actually extremely positive. Uh-huh. We, our job is to be as authentic ourself as possible. Like if yurts float your boat, if domes float my boat, we just do that. But we don't have the savior complex. Mm-hmm. We're not the savior of anything. You cannot. I love that. You cannot save anyone else. You've had great intentions in your life to help somebody that did not want to be helped. And were they helped? Mm -mm. You cannot help anyone else. The most that you can do is meet a person with where they're at. That's it. If you can meet them with where they're at, Mm -hmm. maybe there's the inspiration for the, the heart connection to occur, and then right. they are self-motivated. They right. move from being a debtor to a creditor. Mm. They move from being a dependent to an independent at that moment. Mm-hmm. That is not your doing. 
And that's the difference between compassion and empathy too, where I heard this on a podcast recently where a fellow talked about compassion is shared suffering. And that's a place where we're easily manipulated into some other end. Whereas this, what you're describing, I think is, is empathetic. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a student of uh, sympathetic vibratory physics. Mm. That's the school of physics that I've learned. And sympathy is what you're talking about. Sympathy is compassion. Mm -hmm. If you're a sympathetic person that's doing massage or sympathetic, like most women are naturally sympathetic. Mm -hmm. because they are the negative pole in nature. They absorb energy around them. So it's much easier for them to be sympathetic, to go yes. into what's called sympathetic resonance. That's why they're communication pattern if they're healthy is more centered around feeling mm -hmm. whereas the male energy is is projective it is more about conditioning the environment than absorbing it mm. and so it's a totally different energetic pattern and you'll you'll always find that women don't care about what you say they care about how you say it because mm -hmm. how you say something has everything to do with what, how that makes them feel. Men don't care how you say anything. They care what you say because what you say has everything to do with their plan of action. Yeah, right. I love that you said you brought that full circle to we don't create the golden age. No, no, no. We are here. So you always have outliers. So I, I love statistics. Like that was always my favorite thing to look at mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't understand how to actually look at statistics. Mm -hmm. so I was giving this example last night. Like a lot of people think if somebody makes 10 free throws in a row, their mind goes to, oh, of course they'll make the 11th. But statistically, no. Every, for every free throw they make, statistically, they're more probable to miss the next one. Hmm. It's not 50-50 with each throw or something? Well, it's 50-50, no. but when you're looking at the set, mm -hmm. making predictions, you're not looking at a one-off. You're looking at a set. Okay. It's a set. It's set mathematics. It's different. Mm. So... I'm not one of these people that thinks like when God does the reset, like when God, you know, does the plasma event or does the flood or does the fire, whatever it is, that everything is gone. I think you have little pockets here and there of beings that were the outliers. And then whatever the new program is that comes in, comes in, and then you just continue to be authentic and figure it out. Mm -hmm. because I don't know about you, but I've needed life to get better. Like where I'm at now, <laughs> relative to when I began, like I am a much better being now than I was when I started. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so that's my projection onto the world. My projection onto the world is like, you know what? The majority of people I know, we all like cringe at what we talked about and did in our twenties. You know, like, we're like, oh, man, you know, it's because like, oh, uh, because that's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. you need to come here and learn and like actually, but it's it's an individuated process that looks like it's collective. It appears like it's collective, but it is not.
It is not. We have people that we that we're sympathetic to. We have people that we're empathetic to. We have people that we're resonant with. We have people that we were dissonant with. Mm-hmm. But all these stories that make up the matrixy of the of the the Leela, the the Maya, the play. Yeah. It's just that. Yeah. And yeah. We'll, we you and I will build really beautiful structures or innovative structures because in God's plan, it was just that's what's so like these people need to inspire people in this way. Yeah. Right. And then where we have free will is that we in in our experiencing of what is actually occurring, we can actually subjectively, not objectively, subjectively recount and recall things through our subjective filter. And that's where we have free will. Mm-hmm. We can change our mind about something. We could say, oh, at one point I thought I was a victim when this occurred, but now as a creditor, I understand that was a perfect occurrence and that mm-hmm. had to happen. Mm-hmm. By whatever. Right. You're not actually changing the event out there, quote unquote. It's an internal subjective change. And it's that's the, where free will lies. The individuated process. Yeah, and that's what makes this, you know, last three years this this um, collective experience that we had, where we were invited into this hive mind mindset. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you might say compelled um, or coerced, and um, it was very interesting. It was very very instructive to see who went along with it and who didn't. And it wasn't the people that I thought, you know, all the time that went, that would have gone along with it. And many people that I thought were more, you know, go along to get along really stood tall and set an example and, um, and, and were able to access, you know, a, a reservoir of courage and conviction and it, it was surprising many times for me, but I think that's, I think that, um, that was, yeah, sort of a, a, a grand experiment in, you know, um, an opportunity, let's say, to, to individuate. And it's not, it's not, <laughs> this isn't an antisocial thing. This is actually, the, the, I think this time re- calls for individuated whole human beings who have done the hard work mm-hmm. right and gone through these processes and and, 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 and face down their own shadow and incorporated that and um to 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 find one another and form a a, a new kind of a, a collective but a collective of individuated and you know more enlightened whole human beings yeah Yeah. i I, i'm i'm in total agreement we were having a a a good laugh last night because i was like i said something that that sounded kind of you know to to uh to somebody that's a little let's say oversensitive it would have been an insensitive comment but i said thank god for (laughs) 9-11 thank god i was 25 years old did not know what I was going to do in my life. 
I had no idea. I knew that I didn't want to be part of the system. I knew everything that I was being groomed for on the corporate level. I, mm. I had just started my massage business and 9-11 occurs. Everybody's freaking out. My roommate at the time was in school for video production. And like a few months after 9-11, like, like that December, I remember we watched this two-hour documentary on how the towers fell. And we're totally into it. We're buying the story and we're like in it. Yeah. And we're like watching it and we're like, oh, the scientists and this, 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 <laughs> kerosene, blah, 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 blah. And we're in it. Like I'm totally lapping it all up, you know, the whole, the whole given narrative but near the end of or at the end of the documentary it strikes both daniel and i something really funny because we're watching the credits of this documentary the credits were like four minutes long and he and i look at each other and he's like how did they put this together in three months? Because mm. that's what he was going to school for. How do you schedule all the interviews? How do you get all the expert witnesses? How do you get all the shots from all the different news coverages? Mm. How, do you, how do you storyboard all that? How do you put that all together? And then have it so well made and like, ready for consumption in three months mm. it's almost like the reality managers already had a, a a script absolutely and then so what that did in my consciousness as a 25 year old man i was just like i didn't know what happened but i knew what didn't happen mm -hmm. i became apophatic apophatic Yes. You don't know what something is, but you know what it's not. Hmm. The, there's a, I forget the line of philosophy that really harps on that, but it's like um, in, in the, uh, I guess you would say in the Ayurvedic way of saying it, it's like the neti, neti, neti. It's always, it's a negation, mm -hmm. negation, negation, negation. It's like as an architect, you you think about the negative spaces. Yeah. The negative spaces actually inform the positive spaces. Right. The yin yang. Not the yurt. Not the yurt. <laughs> yeah, but you're like thinking of okay, the landscape that's holding the yurt. Mm -hmm. Thinking of of uh, of the like if you have to grade earth or you have to grade a space. Okay. You're actually like, okay, I'm actually the, what the real canvas is, isn't the canvas itself. It's that right. which the canvas is on. And this actually gets back into the sympathetic vibratory physics or scalar physics. That's what it is. Mm. For you to have the thing that you want, you first have to engineer the environment. Mm -hmm. You engineer the environment then the environment will produce the 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 stated goal okay yeah and this gets into social engineering social darwin yes. the whole thing yes yes 
this this negative space this actually you through deduction you you're like uh like there's no way it could be this and that's what got me into learning the the trivium and the quadrivium the original seven liberal arts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. was it was the whole oh my god this is an absolute lie this is just rhetoric and the way I know it's rhetoric is my logic and my grammar are correct. And then as I start to understand his history, historicity and geometry and um, astronomy, all these things now make sense. Now there's a context for why this rhetoric is being used. Mm. And so this eliminates the contradictions in one's life. And so 9-11 was that impulse they provided that impulse to it, it was the bell cow mm -hmm. because i was just sitting there. i was living with this dude for a year as a roommate and i was seeing how torturous it was to produce anything of quality you know like 1999 2000 you know with like that level of professionalism mm -hmm. and then like we see this two-hour documentary in three months and then, i mean they had must have had 200 scenes in this documentary yeah 200 right. scenes <clears throat> is multi multi like who paid for this multi 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 million dollar affair right and so for me it was immediately like oh my goodness the stories i had always felt because i grew up in an era where i was around a lot of vietnam vets as a kid and i saw how messed up they were mm-hmm I didn't have a, an impression that the government really had our best interests at heart. And then just seeing like the level of insanity that was occurring after 9-11. And I was yeah. like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I got to, I got to bolt. Cause dude, it was crazy. One of my clients, one of my massage clients, her husband was the pastor for Calvary church. And I remember I go over to their house, to their condominium on the ocean to work on her. And I asked, I was like, oh yeah, where, where's your hubby? And she's like, he's in Washington, D.C. meeting with the Bushes. And she was so proud of it. And I was like, really? Yes. All the, all the, all the church, church, uh, I forget how she said it, like the, the white cloths, the whatever, the essentially the big wigs uh, all around the country mm -hmm. meeting with George Bush at the white house. Mm. And she, this was a, a person that was like fervent, like let's go kill every, you know, Brown person that could be a terrorist, like, like fervently pushing that. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, okay. So the rhetoric is complete BS. And they're getting they're they're priming the pump the the separation between church and state is not real right <laughs> the, the church is the state in this regard let's beat the war drums let's keep this you know false fiat economy because a lot of people don't remember like the the dot-com bubble burst in like right. 2000 enron had blown right. up my dad's pension went away because it was essentially all in Enron. Right. And then they just changed the story. Yeah. 
oh, 9-11 occurs. Oh, we got to go to war. We got to go do this, this, and this. And for me as a young man, it allowed me, it gave me the leeway to go, you know what? I want to do no harm. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want to go kill anybody in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to make money selling chemicals that I know are bad for people. I'm just not going to do any of these things. Isn't it interesting how in the in the COVID era they just swapped the storyline and red team and blue team got switched up and the churches just fell right in line with the lockdown program. You know, um yeah, I was I was um you know back then I was a diehard lefty and i was really really committed so it's really it was easy for me to align you know the whole bush paradigm with evil and red team and for and so that you know the the republicans at that time represented war well it's like you know we've watched we've watched this whole thing invert and so now it's you know the democrats are leading the charge into war and it was actually what you're describing for um that apophatic moment for me was actually trump's election Mm -hmm. and i was you know big i wasn't a bernie bro but i was a bernie sanders supporter Mm -hmm. and i i I can remember so clearly when, when, you know, they, the Democrats themselves did Bernie Sanders in and, and I, I couldn't bring myself to, to vote for <laughs> the alternative there on the democratic side. But then when Trump won, I was, I was distraught. I remember the next morning going out into my, I had a, um, this was behind the roundhouse that's behind me, right, right over yep. here. I I I uh, photoshopped it out, but there's a shipping container <laughs> with my weightlifting equipment, and I went in there and I and I and I uh, pulled something in my back because I was like angry lifting. Uh-huh. And so for three weeks, I'm hobbling around with like just intense sciatica pain. You know, it was just like blinding white light pain, and I'm like, I had to face facts that Trump didn't do that to me. I did it to myself. Right. And then I started looking around and I started listening and on I was on Facebook at the time and everybody's talking about how much they're drinking, how many bottles of wine they're drinking a night and oh life has just become horrible and unbearable and 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 other and people are getting sick and they're talking all the time about how they're sick. And it just occurred to me I'm like wait a minute, Trump's not even in office yet. Your life hasn't changed. We're doing this to ourselves. And yeah. for me that was that moment I was like I got to stop I got to stop. I got to stop owning the truth. I got to stop, which goes back to being raised Christian in that regard. I got to stop red team, blue teaming everything and seeing everybody through a political lens that I have to, you know, in the past it was save their soul. And now it's like win them over with the correct line, like all that, like ideological, um, well, you mentioned social engineering and, and I was like the worst offender up until that point and it just it was a huge moment for me of like self-realization and it was the first time in my life and i don't know how long ago that was now not that long ago uh eight nine years ago when trump was elected so i was you know a young man in my early 40s 
I finally gave myself the chance to say, I have to let it all go. I actually have to work on myself. I'm a father. I have three sons that are looking up to me. They're watching what I do. They're watching how I conduct myself. They're watching me, you know, you know, still think it's cool to go to that, um, you know, party and get inebriated. You know, they're, they're in, in while Clint, you know, while claiming that I have some, you know, um, access to, uh, right, right think in a sense, you know, and it's, and it's contrived. I realize this is, this is so much of this is contrived. My, my intentions are good, right? but that's yeah. not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not enough. And so for the first time in my life, I really like, realize that I have to go, I have to go within, Mm -hmm. you know, like the work. It's like, we, you know, we, we have a profound effect on the world for better or worse, whether we like it or not, you know, so we, you know, we better heed that call. And that's for me, that was like, it just came, came through like, um yeah and anyway um my family relations got better because i stopped looking at my dad as you know as a republican i just started looking at him as my dad and i had a chance to go back to that relationship just for an for an instant you know an example um so yeah no it's i i really resonate with everything that you're saying brother um wonderful yeah we're coming up on the end of our time i uh i'm sorry about this guy weed whipping on the other side of this wall behind me oh i can't hear anything no <laughs> oh good zoom is blocking it out then because on yeah. my side it's like it's supremely annoying matt well i have to go take my son to his soccer game now he he just broke his arm yesterday by the way <laughs> oh no He's the captain of the soccer team so i gotta get him up and and on the road here so yeah thank you Father for joining calls. me uh where can people find your work uh well let's see um my my podcasts are at um marvelous old world on youtube and my design work is at dreamdesignbuild.org or on instagram at yurt design uh, yurt designs and um topher uh i i really enjoyed this man this is honestly this is one of the most amazing conversations i've had through this medium and i just keep I keep meeting incredible, inspiring folks like yourself that I just really deeply resonate with. I learned so much. This is one of those that I'm going to go back and listen to myself because I just learned so much talking to you. And I just I appreciate what you're all about and um, the work that you're doing, the example that you're setting out there. So really, thank you for this time. My pleasure, Matt. It was wonderful to meet you. And we, at some point, we have to actually like do an architecture. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, um, let's do this again. You know, I'd yeah, love to I'll, talk I'll come to on you. your show and we'll we'll do that up. No, fantastic. Thank you so much. Really, okay. really lovely. My pleasure. Biocharismites. I hope you enjoyed Matt Smith, Matthew Smith. Um, I really appreciate that. Like, I'm just like really vibing with these last few uh, interviews that I've done finding people that are very simpatico, you know, having Chance, then Kevin, now Matt. Good, just good names too. Just good, good folk. But uh, take a gander at Matt's work. 
I'm looking at his work right now on Instagram and I am I am just so impressed. Uh, I can't wait to get in with him and talk to him about what actually got him to essentially focus on these round homes. Uh, he does his the majority of his work with wood. And if I was in the Pacific Northwest, I'd probably do the same thing also. Uh, being where I live, um, you know, masonry is more appropriate, but uh, I love it. The, you can feel the love and the attention to detail and uh, just wonderful work. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to get to know Matt. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I apologize for my, produ my production value as of late. Uh, I lost my producer, my, uh, my uh, builder buddy. Um, he bought a farm and is fully occupied with that. So uh, my troglodyte hands have been what's been producing these things as of late. So I'm learning, I'm learning. My wife, he says she, she's going to learn uh, some of the programming to help me out with this because uh, it's not natural for me. Talking and connecting and using my hands out in the in the physical is where where I shine. Um, the digital space, not so much, but I'll, I'll get better. I'll learn. If you appreciate what we're doing here, um, great. Please reciprocate. Uh, it's, it's uh, whatever, the value for value model for me works very well. I really hope that you receive something from um, my little curiosities in this world. And uh, if you do, you know, show your appreciation, that's wonderful. I actually have a, what's it called? A PO box now to like uh, receive uh, snail mail super chats. Um, I just don't know the address right now. <laughs> So uh, once I figure that out, I'll post that. And um, yeah, a bunch of you have been sending me really cool stuff. Uh, when I get back to the States, I will be um, sending out uh, all the rocket retorts. Please contact me. Um, I just started seeing the mail from toferhq.com. Um, once again, I, I apologize for my uh, lack of response on that because in all honesty, I didn't remember any of my passwords or any of that stuff. So it took a little while to reset all that. But uh, I'll be getting back to everybody. I think I'm 90% sold out on the next batch of retorts. The barrels cost more money. So the retorts are going to be about 150 bucks a piece. Uh, we're devising a store. Um, so in the store, we'll be selling mojos. We'll be selling rocket retorts, um, biochar kilns, um, t-shirts. I'm going to have t-shirts and a, a few other things. A bunch of you guys out in the Telegram chat have been just crushing. Um, I really appreciate the Telegram chat. Uh, I'm like a non-entity on it now. I'll put like maybe two or three comments on it a day. And like you guys are just rolling. There'll be like a hundred messages by the time I come back. So. That's awesome to see, but a bunch of you guys have been contributing and sending in like models that you've made and like, it's just so cool. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, we have a bunch of really cool guests coming up soon. Uh, I brought up in this cast, Jerry Marzinski recorded that. Uh, he's been somebody I've been very um, 
appreciative of for for many years and uh it's gonna be a blast to have him on i'm gonna bring uh, big bear back on and uh talk about the dynamics of male energy uh <laughs> which is kind of cool because in this podcast as you heard we were talking a bunch about that um i'm going to be doing a series with tom barnett around celestic profiling i finally feel comfortable with like fully like going forward with that in the future and um celestic profiling for those of you out there that don't know it's essentially um your conception astrology but your conception sidereal astrology because what i've been finding out is that's really like god's imprint for you that's like how like that's the perfect uh that's like the golden age of you and then the your actual birth you ought to know It's really kind of funny because you would be surprised what actually occurs in one's life when you misperceive yourself. <laughs> so thank you again for joining. Go to all the stuff on toferhq.com. We're probably going to open up a, a Rumble. Well, I have a Rumble account. We'll probably start feeding that. And uh, yeah, when I get back to the States, we'll do some live streams and all that good stuff too. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you soon.